You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 67. Hey guys, happy Monday. So do you have allergies? Or does your baby have allergies? Any of your kids have allergies? This episode is all about allergies, specifically food allergies, and even more specifically, dairy allergies, because I know that that's a somewhat common issue that breastfeeding moms, you know, can face with their baby that their baby shows signs of a dairy allergy and they have to start cutting out dairy. So I wanted to do a whole episode focusing on that. But in having this discussion about dairy allergies with my guest today, the conversation naturally kind of flowed into talking about all sorts of things regarding allergies. So if you follow the Allergy Chef on Instagram, she's got a little over 50,000 followers on Instagram. She's got a a pretty big page. You know how amazingly knowledgeable she is in all things allergy because she herself has many, many, many allergies, which she will get into in the episode. So today I had Kathleen on from the Allergy Chef and Kathleen is an expert a true expert. She is. She has a lot of wisdom <laughs> on all things allergies. And she talked to us about milk protein allergies. She talked to us about eggs and reading labels for dairy, hidden ingredients, tips on eating out if you have allergies. And yeah, we just, we talked about a lot of cool stuff. Honestly, this episode was really, really fun to record. I just, I remember sitting there with her and just my eyes being wide open, like, because she was just dropping all of this knowledge on me. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode with Kathleena from The Allergy Chef. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and where you're from, what you like to do, your family, well, any I'm anything at all? <laughs> right. From California, um, a little bit about myself. So they call me the allergy chef because I personally have over 200 food allergies and intolerances. I can't drink most water. Um, animals oh. go contact an airborne allergic. So it's kind of an inside joke because I'm allergic to everything, but I cook everything for everyone else. Um, uh-huh. So the allergy chef, uh, we actually started a bakery here in the Bay Area that's gluten-free, vegan, top eight, allergy-free, no sesame, um, lots of options for, for people with food allergies. And, um, you know, we've done cookbooks and essentially I've kind of become this allergy expert that can not only deal with allergies, but specialty diets. So I like to use the term restricted diet because I think it's, it encompasses more people, um, you know, and it catches the people who fall through the cracks. Like, you know, some people, they think gluten-free, so they, or their celiac disease, so they don't think they have an allergy per se, yet everything I do can help that community. Um, You know, if you're soy-free vegan, or even if you're just paleo, like we overlap with so much that I think it's just a term that's a little more inviting. Um, Mm -hmm. 
which is why we started our platform raise. And, the, you know, the funny thing about that is it took us so long to start because I wanted to get the name right. I was like, we can't use the word allergy. Like, that's not mm-hmm. the thing. And so we picked the word raise because it stands for restricted diet, allergy intolerance, special diet, such as paleo, vegan, GAPS, AIP, SCD. And then the E is for EOE. And I was like, that covers everybody. <laughs> So. I love it. Well, that was a great intro. <laughs> I love it. That's, so that's yeah, no, I love it. So yeah, I don't have, um, I mean, I don't have 200 allergies, but I have a kind of a weird allergy that is not really an allergy anymore, but something, I don't even think I've really even shared this with, I mean, p- people in my personal life know this about me, but I used to not be allergic to peanuts when I was younger, like a child. I ate you know, peanut butter and Reese's peanut butter cups and everything. It's fine. And then I grew into a peanut allergy when I was like 15. And then I grew out, grew back out of it at like 22 or 23. It was the weirdest thing. It's like kind of a weird joke between me and my husband, because basically what happened was I met him when I was like uh, 20, I think. And he and I, you know, I said, okay, again, I can't eat peanuts. And he ran across this article about like how, you know, some allergy, it it might not be true. Something like in regards to like, you know, some people think that they have peanut allergies, but they really don't, or they grow out of them, or I don't even remember what it was. But anyways, he was like, Liesl, you should, you should just like, maybe get that checked again because you haven't had peanut butter in so long and peanut butter is so delicious. Like what, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you could like actually eat peanut butter again? I was like, you're crazy. That's stupid. I'm allergic to peanuts. Like I haven't had them in five years. I had an anaphylactic, you know, reaction when I was 15. I know that I'm allergic to peanuts. I've been to see an allergist, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, how much you want to bet? <laughs> and I was like, um, okay, well, fine. My copay to my allergist is 50 bucks. So I'll bet you my copay, like I'll go get tested. And if I'm allergic to peanuts, then you owe me my copay back. If not, then I'll pay for my copay. It turns out his dumb, dumb was dumb, butt was right. And I got tested and I was not allergic. My alert, my allergist was like, I mean, we can try, you can eat peanuts here and sit here for four hours and see if you have any reaction. And I did. And he was like, yeah, that sometimes that happens. You grow allergies are weird. Obviously, you probably know that because you're the allergy expert, but allergies are weird. And he said some people just grow in and out of them. So that's my peanut peanut no, allergy that's story. Cool because <laughs> what a lot of people don't know is that every seven years, essentially, the body mm-hmm. can go through major changes. In the yeah. And it was, it I was going to say, like it's like almost exactly seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when, when you told me the ages, I was like, she's probably one of those people. Yeah, that had that major body shift. Um, you know, there, that's the thing about food allergies. I think a lot of people don't realize that science does not know enough. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we know the basics, and I think that's really all we know. And there's so many reasons why. Because number one, it's not like heart disease where we know why you got the disease and how to get you out of it. Yeah. You know, there's so many different reasons a person can literally pick up an allergy. You can grow into it. You can be born with it. You can have leaky gut. You can have other autoimmune disorders. You can actually have things like mast cell or EOE or FPIs where it looks like you don't have an allergy, but you do have an allergy and they can't really test for it. Like there are so many different reasons a person would have a food allergy or a food intolerance that it's nearly yeah. impossible for us to really, you know, we can't study it the way we do type two diabetes. Type yeah. two diabetes works the same way in just about everyone who has it. 
We know what happens with insulin and their cells and the receptors. Like we know the mechanisms. Now, while we know most of the mechanisms behind allergy, we, unlike with diabetes, can't say, well, no, two people are the same. With diabetes, it's diabetes, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have a blood sugar issue, it's diabetes. We know how to treat it. Because no two people are the same, you know, with a food allergy, you could feed old you a peanut and you'd have anaphylaxis and you might be able to feed your neighbor a peanut and they might just get a headache. Is it still an allergy? For them, it actually could be a true allergy with a different response, just not anaphylaxis. And so it's it's this huge, huge thing and people just don't get it sometimes. And I'm like, you know, I wish more people would get that. Like, yeah. it's not cut and dry. And then that's why so you crazy. hear people saying things like, oh, well, a little bit won't hurt because they may have heard a story from their uncle's cousin's aunt's grandma, you know? Right. So, right. yeah. Right. So interesting. So crazy. Well, guys, we are doing this episode today all about dairy because I have a good amount of followers that follow me who are breastfeeding moms and they have babies have issues with dairy. And that is fairly common, um, I would say nowadays. We're going to be talking about dairy and what to do if you have issues with dairy and how to cut out. So the first one is my baby has been diagnosed with a milk, milk protein intolerance and I'm breast on cutting out dairy from my diet. Um, where do I begin cutting out dairy from my diet? Well, there's a few things to keep in mind. First and foremost, that I want to say before we continue, dairy is an all encompassing word. Um, milk means something specific to, to most people, but when we're talking about culinary words of use, milk, milk can come from different mammals, including humans. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can buy cow's milk, sheep's milk, goat milk, buffalo milk, camel's milk. Those are the top five that you can purchase in stores, um, Mm -hmm. or get on specialty farms. Milk means the actual white substance from the mammal. And then dairy is a term that encompasses things that are made from milk, which is why you have a dairy section in your grocery store. So yogurt made from milk is in the dairy section of the store. So that's important to keep in mind, like the definitions. Then there's lactose. Anything ending with ose indicates sugar. So lactose, fructose, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And lactose is the natural sugar found in milk. And it's found in all types of milk. Um, In fact, what's interesting is some people, they pick up a container of milk and they're freaked out because it says it's got nine grams of sugar. And they're like, oh my goodness, they're adding sugar to milk. No, 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 they're actually not. That's actually from lactose. Yeah. It's not cane sugar. It's lactose. Um, And so it's important to know that most people with a dairy intolerance can are usually lactose intolerant. Now you'll notice I'm speaking in generalizations, most people generally, et cetera. Why? No two people are the same. We always know that there's going to be some people, myself included, who either test differently, react differently, or like can have this, but not that and the other. So I will always speak in generalizations. Um, It's just to encompass most people. So um, the difference being there's five IGs, right? Most people are familiar with IgG, IgE. Those are the big ones. There's IgA, IgM, et cetera. And so lack an intolerance um, activates a different part of your immune system. And the, the importance to know between an allergy and intolerance, an allergy can kill you and an intolerance usually can't. Why do I say usually? I say usually because in some rare cases, you have so many symptoms that domino 
that it actually leads to your death if it goes undiagnosed for long enough, which was one of my issues. Um, it led mm. to near death. And it wasn't, I mean, it was a combination of allergy and intolerance, but that's why I can say confidently, like you always have a rare few people who could technically die from it um, mm-hmm. or as a result of it, right? Complications. Yeah. Um, and sense. so yeah. with a true allergy, and, and here's the thing about true allergy, not all true allergies result in anaphylaxis and not all anaphylaxis results in death. So I think a lot of people get really afraid and I'm not saying you shouldn't be afraid. I think everybody should fear anaphylaxis. Like I've experienced yeah. it. You can't breathe. It's, you know, it's scary. Like, no, it's scary. Good. I don't need that. I do not need that <laughs> in my life. Right. Um, but it's just important to know that there's a lot going on. So that takes care of our definitions. Now we can talk about the rest. How do you eliminate dairy from your diet? So let's use a different term. How do I eliminate milk from my diet? Right. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to tell you how to eliminate yogurt from your diet. Don't eat yogurt. Right. So mm-hmm. let's focus on milk. Where's milk found? The most common places would be milk from a carton, uh, cheese and yogurt and butter. These are common milk products. Essentially, if you go to your grocery store and you walk in and they have like a dairy section, like any standard grocery store will have this, you'll immediately see everything you need to eliminate, you know, sour cream, cream cheese, all these different things. Mm -hmm. But then you have to look at the rest of the grocery store. Um, It's in packaged foods. It's in places where you would not expect it. And I know we're going to talk about hidden sources a little bit later, so I I won't get too far into it. But um, milk is found in a lot of areas. But here's the secret no one will tell you. In fact, I bet you this is going to be that clip that we end up using for Instagram. The secret (laughs) no one tells you is that milk can sometimes be a processing aid in things like maple syrup. A lot of people know this, but maple syrup has the thing called a defomer. And a defomer is exactly what you think it would be. It removes foam. When maple Mm -hmm. syrup is processed, it literally creates a whole bunch of foam and they have to remove the foam to keep processing the the maple. And so uh, a lot of places will use safflower or sunflower, but some places use cream as in milk. And it removes the foam. There is literally one company that I know of to date. And we talk, we go to trade shows everywhere. Like we know that's mm-hmm. called the Maple Guild. They actually use their own cold sap as the defomer. And I only know this because I have a severe corn allergy and corn has over 250 different names. It's got so many uses in food medicine and agriculture that, well, it's basically everywhere. Um, and yeah. so a lot of people don't think about shared equipment, processing aids, etc. which leads me to say this. If your child has, let's call it a standard dairy allergy, standard milk allergy, um, by removing the, the everything from your diet, you'll be fine. However, if you find that you remove everything from your diet and your child is still reactive, maybe not as reactive, but still an issue, most likely you're then dealing with a child with a severe dairy allergy or a mm-hmm. severe milk allergy. That means that most likely they can't tolerate food made on shared equipment with dairy. They can't tolerate any kind of derivatives or byproducts, et cetera. You know, um, if you're using that, okay, you're going to love this. This is actually a funny story. Funny side okay. story. I love okay. funny side uh, stories. So oh, I'm glad. Okay. So our youngest uh, is 16 now, crazy to think, and wanted to mess wow. around with bath bombs. And we're a really all natural organic household. And I was like, all right, let me find some for you. 
and um, went to the grocery store. And the only one that they had available was it had milk, coconut, and corn in it, which are three super major allergens in our home. One of our kids has a, a severe milk allergy, like anaphylaxis. Their dad has a coconut allergy. I obviously have a severe corn allergy. And I could not help but laugh because I was like, that's literally the worst product to bring into our home that you're <laughs> going to put in the bathtub. And then, you know, your, your dad and your brother are going to have to take a bath there. And I was like, this is hilarious. Anyways. Like literally um, it's a bath bomb, but it's like yeah, literally it's, a bomb. For us, <laughs> right? It was a literal bath bomb. Right. Um, and so I say that just to say, if you have a child with a severe milk allergy, it means you have to look at bath and body, uh, food, non-food products, et cetera. Um, And that's true of anyone with a soy allergy, a corn allergy, or coconut allergy as well. Uh, Those are big ones that are used. And then, of course, tree nuts for bath and body. I know we're here for milk, but I just thought I'd scooch that in just in case. We we can talk about other stuff, too. I mean, hey, might as well. Yeah, we're here. (laughs) Um, And so if you have a child with a severe milk allergy, then you have to determine, are they contact allergic or airborne allergic as well? Those are even, you know, if you think about a bell curve, we've got people who are mostly in the middle, that's going to be your standard dairy allergy. And then we've got people on the low end who maybe they can actually have it once a year, right? Without having too many repercussions. There are people like that, which is why there's this huge misconception around allergies and maybe a little bit won't hurt. What they don't realize is no two people are the same. Then we have people on the extreme end, which is where our child actually falls. If you put him in a room of pizza, he'll actually start to have an allergic reaction. Like if there's enough, if there's enough of it in the air, he will start to react. Um, So we are incredibly careful with what we do, we have all these different protocols in our house and it's almost crazy, but they've lived with it their whole lives. And so they're just used to it. Yeah. Um, they don't know any different. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they actually don't know any different. Um, and so it keeps him safe. Um, and anytime there's any sort of a slip up, it's like the whole house changes, you know, um, interestingly, and this is why we always tell people, you know, read labels, especially when you're new to it, read the label multiple times, like at the store, before you unload it into your kitchen area, and then before you actually use it again. Because sometimes things look the same or a product has changed and you don't realize it. Mm -hmm. And case in point, um, our kid with a dairy allergy, I knew the difference, but he didn't recognize the difference. And so he reached for ice cream one day and grabbed dairy ice cream and then Mm -hmm. took a bite and then had a full-on allergic reaction. And I was like, what just happened here? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. He's vomiting everywhere. And I look and I go, why did you eat their ice cream? And he goes, it was in the freezer. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Are you serious? I'm like, didn't you look at it? He goes, it looked like mine. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And from that day forward, dairy ice cream was never allowed in that particular freezer. And even though we have a separate freezer fridge combo for allergenic items, their freezer was so tiny, you couldn't get the ice cream into it. And so then for a while, they just didn't have ice cream until we came up with a new solution because it was like, it looked too similar. And then I decided, okay, fine. We won't buy that flavor because it was so dumb. I guess if it's cookies and cream, everybody uses the exact same um, graphic design motif, whatever. Um, So we stopped, you know, we had to stop buying that style. And, you know, it's, it's so many little things that people don't realize, but again, you know, that's where that bell curve comes into play. Um, And so going back to our original question, how do you eliminate it? 
you read labels. The nice thing about milk is that it is one of the U.S. top eight allergens. Um, mm-hmm. So milk, dairy, egg, soy, peanut, tree nut, fish and shellfish. No, sorry, wheat, milk. Anyways, um, wheat is one of the top eight. And of course, sesame is on the way to becoming number nine. Now, depending on what country you're in, you'll have either eight, nine, 10, 12, or 14. And then it starts to vary because in some countries they group things together, like they'll group fish and shellfish and just call it seafood. You know, in some countries they say any gluten containing grain is one of them. Like it, it gets kind of weird, but everybody has the same eight, if nothing else. Like gotcha. at least those eight are covered. Um, and so by it being one of the US top eight, legally, a company must disclose if it's in the product. Now, the label does not have to tell you if it was a processing aid, if it was transported next to the item, if it was made on shared equipment, et cetera. But at least if it's in the product, which if we go back to our bell curve, covers most people, if you don't see contains milk or you don't see the word milk bolded or you don't see the word lactose or whey, bold that if you don't see those items there, then most likely you're fine. The, that milk is not in the final product. If that top eight means that, because I I mean, when I read labels, I'm thinking, yeah, it says it at the bottom contains wheat, contains milk, contains whatever. If that, So you're saying, are those top eight allergens, does that mean that they have to be right there? Is so that's do, what's so like top in, eight about them? In the US, there's a few things. Number one, there's some loopholes to know. First and foremost, the FDA does not classify oils, especially highly refined oils, as an allergen. They claim that there's no protein left. But as we all know, no two people are the same. So some people with a peanut allergy can have peanut oil, but other people try to have it and they have anaphylaxis. Again, Mm -hmm. this is why we can't exactly come up with a straightforward plan for food allergies because there's such a wide range. So with that in mind, legally, a company would not have to say it contains peanuts, even if it had peanut oil because it falls under the loophole. But if they use peanut butter, legally it has to say contains peanuts. There's all these little loopholes that you have to understand, but most companies will play by the rules um, Mm -hmm. just to play by the rules. Now in the United States, legally, um, if you are inside of what's called cottage law, which is what our bakery is, even though we do all the food allergy things, legally we actually don't have to. Um, If you are under cottage law, so if you go to your farmer's market and they're like making loaves of bread and selling it. They don't have to have a nutrition label. They don't have to declare allergens necessarily. There's a lot they don't have to do. Mm-hmm. So it's important to know where your food is coming from. And then um, it's important to also know that the way it's labeled, there are multiple ways that dairy and milk, we should say, can be included, right? Um, so they might use the word yogurt because maybe they use like Greek yogurt within a dip, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, cream cheese, okay? Or you might just see whey or lactose, something of that nature, one of the elements of milk. Mm -hmm. But at the bottom, if so in the label itself, if the label says whey, that means at the bottom, they have to say contains milk. Part of the law is that you have to use the common word to to help people see it. Because for example, with egg, there's literally 16 different ways to use the word egg, like different proteins that you could use, ovo this, like there's so many, but if they use a complicated word for it, then legally they must say contains egg because egg is the common word. Gotcha. Yeah. So I I know (laughs) I could have a Ted talk just on how to read a food label. Yeah, girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So um, if you are dealing with all of this and you're new to it, legally, if it's a complicated word for milk, they have to say contains milk. Um, if it's not a complicated word for milk and they just use the word milk, they have two choices. They can either bold the word milk in the ingredients. So you might be like scanning over it. And if your eye doesn't catch that it's bolded, you won't see, you just won't see it. The other option is they have to write may contain or contains at the bottom and they put in the words. Some companies do both. Now contains and may contains are two different things. I know back to that Ted talk. No, I'm so like, you're blowing my mind right now. So really, I'm like super. Yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So (laughs) if it says contains X, Y, Z, or in our case, I guess we're talking about milk. I got to, I'm always thinking so big picture that I got to get it back down. Contains milk. That means that there is actual milk or a form of milk in this product period. Okay. If it says may contain well, that means it's either made in a shared facility with milk or shared equipment with milk, or perhaps it was a processing aid, but they didn't declare it as a processing aid, um, something of that nature. Now, the difference between a shared facility and shared equipment, this is where it's very interesting because some companies will say may contains milk. Some companies will say process in a facility that also processes milk. Some companies will say processed on shared equipment with milk, blah, 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 blah. Okay. These actually mean different things. A facility can be the size of a closet or it can be the size of a football field. And I am not exaggerating here. Wow. So in some cases where they say made in a shared facility with milk, the milk might be literally 300 yards away and yeah. you don't know it because they didn't write it there. Whereas in some cases it could literally be five feet away, right? Yeah. Now where it says made on shared equipment with dairy, that means that This piece of particular equipment, whether it be a conveyor belt or whatever, touched dairy. Most likely it's been cleaned with all sorts of, you know, standard processing, cleaning agents, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they did a wastewater wash, et cetera. Then they process something without it. The reason they have to state it is because you can never say beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100% that every single protein has been removed. In fact, a lot of companies, they won't tell you this. They don't tell you the rate of their fails when they're testing. Um, Like we've got some friends who do food manufacturing and they'll do a swab test and it still comes up positive. They have to wash the equipment again. You know, it's not every company goes to every single level, but legally with the top eight, this brings us back to that again, they food manufacturers, unless again, they were under cottage law or farmer's market kind of a thing. They have to keep track of any major allergen in their facility, period. That's the law. That's one of the protections that if you fall within top eight, Um, and hopefully soon sesame or top whatever within your country. That's the nice protection bit is that if you call a company, they have to be able to tell you, they have to be able to trace it back. So for example, if you are a Costco member, which is really awesome. If you're not in the United States, Costco is this really huge warehouse that you walk into and everything's 10 times bigger and everything (laughs) is 10 times cheaper. And Costco is amazing. But if you call them, they have the best allergen stuff, period. You give them the item number and they can tell you everything. Um, Whereas some companies, they're not as in the know. They can tell you the basics, but not every nitty gritty detail. And so going back to our bell curve, for some people, the label is enough. On that extreme end where we fall and where our child Mm -hmm. falls, Mm -hmm. um, we call companies, we find out the sourcing of every raw ingredient in your product. So if I have a product in front of me and there's 10 ingredients, I will ask you to trace every single one. 
for whatever allergen I'm asking about. Some companies can do it easily. They've got all the files there. Other companies are like, we're gonna have to call you back and call all these you know, manufacturers and what have you. Yeah. Um, and I personally call that the chain of custody, which is why the more ingredients a product has, the harder the chain of custody is to control. Just so hard. And it's also why some companies, um, there's a food product where it's like little Debbie's hostess type stuff. And mm -hmm. recently they started adding like a gram of peanut flour to their recipe. Like we're talking the absolute smallest amount so that they could add peanut. And that way they could say on their product, um, you know, contains peanut, may contain traces of peanut, et cetera, mm -hmm. because it was actually cheaper and easier to not have to jump through so many hoops to keep the product free from peanut. Wow. Yeah. Now here's what people don't know. So we have a bakery and our mini cupcakes are $3 each. And people are like, whoa, that's kind of a lot for a mini cupcake. Here's the difference. A regular bakery can buy vanilla extract for about $100. We pay $500 for vanilla extract because it's organic, non-GMO. It's also truly corn-free. And it comes from a top nine facility where all they actually process is like vanilla and two other things like cane sugar and um, that sort of thing. And so people don't realize that the more niche the product becomes, the cleaner and safer a product becomes, the more expensive it becomes because of how you have to source. We're talking, you know, for our bakery, we're getting stuff straight from farms. Like we're getting wholesale 50 pound bags. You know, how many middlemen were there? Where did this come from? Yeah. That's the extent you have to take it to. And so for some companies, they're like, it's just cheaper to add a gram of peanut flour because then we don't have to do all these things. I mean, that makes sense. That's it it's sad, but it makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, wow. You know, and it's funny because, well, I say funny, but it's always interesting when people, they like vent to me and I'm like, it's really not a big deal. Like, did you even need hostess anyway? Did you see those? Exactly. I'm like, hello, <laughs> they're doing you a favor. Go home and bake some cupcakes at home. Right. right. Um, you know, and I guess for me, like, I'm not even phased by it because we make 99% of our food at home from scratch anyway. So it's yeah. like, what do I care if they add a gram of peanut flour? But people yeah. are like, but there's peanuts in it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know, there's other options. <laughs> But yeah, crazy, no, that's, crazy. I think the hardest thing about being diagnosed with any food restriction is, you know, people, they don't like being restricted, right? Yeah. Nobody likes using their favorite items, even if it was a little Debbie's with ingredients that quite frankly, I don't think people should eat, but to each their own, you know? Great. I, I just, no. you know, the funny thing is, is like, I'm not against people eating ice cream, cookies and cupcakes. I just want them to eat like the organic non-GMO versions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like Fair. eat a pint of organic ice cream. That would make me feel good. Cool. Yeah. Hey, I love it. Well, that's a great uh, way to go into the next question. We're going to talk about breast milk. Yeah. <laughs> leaving, leaving off with ice cream. But um, so we're talking, you know, most of these moms who are listening are breastfeeding moms and they have issues with milk. Um, so one of the number one questions is like, just how long does the dairy take to leave my breast milk when I start cutting it out? Yeah. So it can take... For some people a day, for some people a week. And this is okay. where no people are the same. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the reaction of your child will be the indicator of how long it's taking to leave your supply specifically. Yeah. It's also why, um, you know, it might be difficult for you, let's say if your supply runs short, you know, to use like those donation banks and that sort of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you can't control what other people are eating. So it's right. very important that you take all the precautions necessary 
Um, they say that allergens being eliminated from the system is similar to like narcotics and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, if you kind of think of it in that similar way, it's not like alcohol where it burns off necessarily. And then it's just kind of gone. Um, mm -hmm. It just takes a while to actually leave your system. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure it's probably, does it have something to do with how much you, like me personally, I don't, I mean, I eat cheese, and yogurt, but I don't eat a lot of, I don't drink a lot of milk. So I wonder if, does it matter the amount of dairy, I guess, that you consume, you know, if you're trying to cut Not it out? Not necessarily. It's more okay. like, um, how many days in a row did you consume it? Does that okay. Make sense? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. You know, if, if for whatever reason, let's say you're drinking eight ounces of milk, like cow's milk a day, and then you did that for a month. And finally your child is diagnosed because I don't know, failure to thrive or something of that nature. Yeah you're like, okay, I'm going to eliminate this eight ounces of milk a day. So now perhaps the reaction has lessened, but they're still having a reaction. Then you realize, oh my goodness, I've had all these hidden sources of milk and now I have to start eliminating those. And day after day, you'll find that your child is getting better and better and better. It's because yeah. the more it leaves your system, the less your child reacts. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, let's do this next question. This next one is on meal planning meal prep and planning and tips. Let's, let's also talk about tips on reading labels because I feel like those kind of go hand in hand. So this next one is just how do you have any meal prep planning tips for dairy-free moms? And then the next one is, you know, tips on kind of reading those labels that we've already kind of prefaced. Pregnancy and birth come with a lot of unknowns, and I should know, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. What if I told you there was a resource that could support you for every step of the way and prepare you for every scenario, no matter how things play out? It's true. The Mommy Labor Nurse All Access Pass gives you instant access to every single one of our courses and resources in one spot for an entire year. Head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash AAP to learn more. I can't wait to see you in there. Yeah. Okay. So for labels, again, you're going to do a few, like when you're brand new, you're going to do a couple of things. Number one, um, and we'll link to these articles about like hidden sources of dairy where you can actually read all these different things, but you're going to read a label carefully. In fact, you're going to do your best to go grocery shopping without your child for at least the first few shops um, yeah. because you want your full attention on these labels. And it, it does get easier. Like I want to say that first and foremost, because once you hit a good, good. stride, um, you know, you get those brands that are safe. Um, I always tell people focus on allergy focused companies, the ones that are least likely to change overnight. Um, yeah. You know, if you need extra support, our website, we actually have safe product guides where we, um, we do all the calls and everything and let you know what to purchase. And we're oh, really sure if you like, if a company is made on shared equipment with something and they say they're free from that item, we actually don't count that. If like, okay. so if you say on a lot of people don't know this, but and here's another secret. You can be certified gluten-free and made on shared equipment with wheat. And I think that is the greatest crime of our time. I'm like, are you people serious? Wow. Um, and so with that in mind, we don't count that. If you say you're free from wheat, your equipment has to be free from wheat. If you say you're free from dairy, your equipment has to be free from dairy for you to make it into our guides. So our guides are really, really strict. A lot of guides you find online will go by just label. They won't call and ask about equipment and processing and all those other things where we're like, no, no, let's find out everything. 
Um, because if I'm going to vouch for something like I need to know, like I need to get all up in your beeswax, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. All right. That covers labels. Oh, wait. Okay. So go shopping without your child, either hire a babysitter, get your spouse or grandma, whomever to watch the child for a while or go while they're sleeping or, you know, yeah. Uh, because you, you know, a lot of people suffer from mom brain. It's very real. Um, and I want people to have that focus energy, those first few shops, because it's so hard. Yeah. Um, so you want to look at number one, what am I buying? Like, don't rush out to necessarily replace things like, oh, well, I need cream cheese for my bagel. How about just eat a bagel with jam? Now we've eliminated a whole thing that you don't even need to read and be all flustered about, right? Mm-hmm. Find ways to first and foremost, just just leave it behind. And we always tell people the same thing when they're diagnosed like with celiac disease, do not run out and buy every gluten-free product on the market because half of them are so full of ingredients that quite frankly, no one should be eating. And that's yeah. the problem. And the yeah. same is true of anything that's going to be wheat-free, dairy-free, and egg-free, especially egg and wheat. It's some of the labels read like a science experiment because it really is a science experiment. And so you might take one thing out and give yourself a whole new issue, um, which is beside the fact. Okay, let's get back to where we were. You know, you should probably rein me in sometimes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I love it. I, I just love it. I'm so interested. So okay. You're good. Right. You keep going. All right. I'll just keep going then. All right. So back to these first few shops that you're going on. Yeah. You're going to go to the store. And you're going to be well-rested and you're going to read these labels. You're going to read every single word. And if you have to mumble it out loud um, to make sure your brain is really picking up on what you're reading and you're looking for whey, lactose, milk. Um, those are the main three that a, a brand would use. You're looking for may contains milk or contains milk made on shared equipment with milk processed in a shared facility with milk. Now, the biggest thing I can tell you too that I forgot to mention earlier, um, legally, a company does not have to disclose anything outside of what's in the product. And I sort of touched on it earlier, but I want to make that very clear. Legally, they only have to disclose what's in the product. So sometimes you see a product that says may contain, but then the next one doesn't say it. Don't think, oh, it it must be completely free from because it doesn't say may contain. No, hmm. the company that wrote May Contains did it voluntarily. Interesting. Yeah. So it's back to all these hoops. You know, it's so funny talking to you about it. Cause I'm like, oh, you know, I never realized I jumped through this many hoops. No, but I, I love it. Yeah. No. So no. the when you're reading these labels, you're looking for it and you're going to read it out loud to yourself in the store. And um, if you have to take a sheet of paper with you that writes down everything to avoid Um, especially if you're dealing with a child with multiple food allergies. This is actually really important. If your child is only sesame-free, right? Actually, sesame is a bad example. If your child is only papaya-free, that's a really good example. If your child is only papaya-free, there's only really one word for papaya, papaya, right? That's all you need to know. If it it says papaya, even though it won't be in bold or whatever, but if you see papaya, especially in salad dressing, you're going to be like, oh, okay, we can't have that. So you put it down. But if your child has pretty much a lot of other allergies um, or even intolerances, you need to take a a piece of paper with you um, and make sure that you have everything written down, every word that can mean the allergy, as well as everything derived from the allergen. For example, tahini. Do you know what tahini is derived from? Any guess? Nope. (laughs) I don't eat tahini, so nope. (laughs) Yep. It's derived from sesame. 
which most oh. people don't know off the top of their head. Um, even people with a sesame allergy, they're like, oh, I just avoid sesame. Well, you got to avoid other stuff too, but that's one of them. Um, and back to that loophole about highly refined oils, not all oils are highly refined. So some oils are um, disclosed and then others don't have to be. Again, more loopholes. It would be so much easier if they just disclosed everything. Um, but yeah. Okay, so you're going to read everything at the store. If it looks safe, you're going to purchase it. You're going to go home. And as you're unloading your groceries, you're actually going to read the labels again just to double check yourself. If you happen to see something that doesn't work, like, oh, I missed that, give it to the neighbors, whatever. Then you're going to put your groceries away. And right before using it, you're going to read the label again. You're going to do this three-step process a lot when you're new um, because you have to, right? There's yeah. just no way around yeah. it. And after a while, you're going to get into a great groove. You're going to find those safe brands or you're going to you know, go to our website and you'll get this list of safe brands. And you're going to be like, oh, this is easy. These are the brands to stick with. Good. I'm good. And then yeah. like for us, that's what it's like, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to read most labels because we only stick to, you know, the same 10 processed things and everything else we, we make from scratch. We buy flour, yeah. individual flour, not blends, but individual flour. Like we buy all these different random things from scratch and we just go from there. So now meal planning, let's talk meal planning. The nice thing is for the most part, it's actually pretty easy. Um, on our website, we've got this free meal plan and I can include it in those links for you, yeah. but um, you guys can see the example. The nice thing, if you're milk allergy only, that's the only issue. Meal planning is just like standard meal planning because for a lot of items containing milk, it's actually a one-to-one -one exchange. So if a recipe calls for butter, like two tablespoons, just use two tablespoons of dairy-free butter, done. Like it's so simple. Um, if the only times that doesn't work is if a recipe calls for skim milk, whole milk, buttermilk, um, and a couple of other random things, oh, or like full fat cream, that sort of stuff. Um, and that's where you have to start adding something. So for buttermilk, it's milk plus acid. Um, and some dairy-free milks perform better than others. Like oat milk plus acid does not behave like a traditional buttermilk. You still get the rise element, but you don't get like the curdled effect. Same with like tiger nut milk, which is not a nut. It's actually a tuber vegetable, poorly named. Um, but there's all sorts of little tricks. And then if someone calls for like full fat cream, you're looking at dairy-free butter plus dairy-free milk. Depending on how much cream they want will determine how much butter you put back into it. Um, and so that's really, you're just always playing with the fat levels really. Um, but the fat, the amount of fat will depend on the type of dairy-free milk you go with. So going back to meal planning, if someone calls for, oh, I should also mention for people who can do coconut, coconut in a can versus coconut in a box are two different products because um, mm. one's full fat and the other's not. But full fat coconut milk is a great replacement when somebody's like calling for cream and you know, full fat milks and different things like that, just because of the fat content that's naturally in the can. Um, and so you'll get into a groove, you'll know these things, but you also have to like the taste of coconut. Um, Cause yeah. obviously it was like, coconut. I like coconut milk. I, I actually prefer that. I don't have, I, I, I'm somewhat sensitive to milk. So I try to drink non, non dairy milk when I can, but I actually like, do like the the taste of coconut milk, but a lot of, you know, you're right. A lot of people don't that this goes into the next one kind of started to talk about milks in um, uh, milks, you know, in general, but this is a common one that people don't like a certain 
milk, like I, I wrote down almond milk, but I hate drinking almond milk or I hate drinking coconut milk. Is there something better? How many different even types of oh my non-lactose milks are there? Should I even get you going? There, <laughs> there are, are so there tons? many. You know, it's so funny. Should I get you going? Uh, you said you were liking this. So just keep going. Like it's like those rides at the grocery store. You keep putting the quarters in, you know, and you just keep <laughs> yes. going. Yeah. All right. So first and foremost, there are so many non-dairy milks. It's ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Um, there, the majors are going to be oat. Well, actually technically oat is not a major. It's becoming one though. So oat, soy, rice, tree nut, and then you can still technically peanut, uh, legume, tiger nut those are gonna be like your major ones but then you keep breaking it down so you've got um like pecan walnut macadamia um some people do sesame milk like you can get so many different ones you can do hemp it's crazy and each one has a different flavor and different protein and fat content that's also important to know now, these are all commercially produced things. Going back to our bell curve, for the people on the extreme end, most likely you won't be able to purchase this milk because most okay. people don't know it, but it's all made on shared equipment with major allergens, including milk, which I think is the most ridiculous thing ever. I'm like, yeah. I called a brand that um, we were really friendly with and I was like, hey, you know, are you guys made on shared equipment with blah, blah? And they were like, oh, yeah, we're made on shared equipment with milk. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, come on. You know, like, wow. And I was shocked because it's dairy free milk, folks. Yeah. But um, for those of you who need to make milk at home, my favorite tool personally is called the NutriMilk. And um, it's a bit pricey, but it's really awesome. And then the smaller unit that a lot of people have also heard of is called an almond cow. I've never used an almond cow. I have friends that have it that like it. Um, I have friends that use the NutriMilk and prefer it. You just kind of have to see what's in your price range and what do you actually like. You can also use what's called a nut milk bag where you use your blender and then you strain it. Some milks, like you'll have to soak the items first and then strain or mix it up and strain. Um, And so like cashews, for example, are better when soaked compared to raw. Um, And it still keeps the enzymes intact as well. And then you have to think about like all the different things and there's so much to jump through when you're making this stuff at home. And um, it even sounds if you're like it, right. Like, yeah. There's, you know, when, what a lot of people don't realize is that once you kind of traverse into the world of allergy and intolerance, you're most likely traversing into the world of, you know, autoimmune disorder or weakened immune system or all these yeah. little tiny things where if you can boost your body's ability to digest and absorb, you're doing so many good things for yourself. So learn about soaking and sprouting and, um, you know, raw foods where possible and enzymes and all these different things. But I will also say this, please don't ever think that a digestive enzyme will cure your child's allergy. Like it doesn't work Mm -hmm. that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I know there's like lactate pills. You cannot give a child with a dairy allergy, a lactate pill and think that it will work. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. I just thought I'd say that out loud in case anybody was curious or thinking about it. Like, I wonder if. Um, no, the answer is no. So you're saying with an allergy, what about an, it's for people with just with intolerances? Is with that what you're in, saying? Yeah. So some of these okay. pills are for people with a straight intolerance, but okay. not every type of intolerance will respond positively. 
which is what takes us back to no two people are the same. Um, I'm also a huge fan of never experimenting on kids and nonverbal people. Um, And the reason why is because they can't tell you about a delayed reaction. So what people don't realize is going back to our bell curve with most people with a food allergy, you're going to have that quick, obvious, immediate reaction for those people, believe it or not, they actually have an easier time at life, in my opinion, than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Because once you hit that other side of the bell curve, let's say you have a true allergy, but it's either EOE or FPIs, or it's always delayed, right? Um, In fact, some doctors like to say, well, if the response happens eight hours later in the GI tract, it's not a true allergy, but that's not true. In rare cases, it is a legit, complete, full-blown true allergy and can cause death. Like it's a big deal. Yeah. And so- Again, no two people are the same. So understanding that there's all these mechanisms at play and, you know, how you go about it, it's really important because if your child, let's say, tests as allergic to five things and then the doctors say, you know, these numbers are low enough that we want to do an oral challenge. Okay, well, that's your choice, right? First and foremost, do you understand the risks of what an oral challenge is, et cetera. But here's the problem. Let's say your child eats a hand. Let's let's say it was you, right? Let's say you had that handful of peanuts in the doctor's office and you were fine. And after the four hours, they do the exercise test. They test you again. You're fine. Then you go home and the next day you wake up with a killer migraine and you feel like you have the flu. You might think, oh, I just have a migraine and I'm coming down with the flu. When the reality is that was a delayed reaction to those peanuts, right? right? A lot of people don't understand that. And so when you start experimenting on a two-year-old, that two-year-old cannot say to you, my ears hurt and it's a non-traditional yeah. reaction. My feet hurt. It's a non-traditional reaction. I yeah. can barely open and close my hands because of the intense inflammation, but it's a non-traditional reaction. They'll cry. They'll throw a fit. Your kid will lose their mind, but they can't tell you why, which oh, is why man. I'm a firm believer. We should never be experimenting on children and nonverbal people. They just yeah. can't tell us what's wrong. They can't help with their own diagnosis. So in those cases, I always tell people, assume it's true. And if your child is still having an issue, keep a you know very, very, very detailed food journal, take pictures of any kind of reactions, go through the process yeah. of elimination diets until your kid hits neutral, then very carefully determine what were the trigger foods and start carefully reintroducing. Is that the same as experimenting? Not exactly, because you're taking it one food at a time, once a week in increasing amounts. It's really like you're being so methodical that the moment when something goes wrong, you know it's wrong. You know, like, okay, that was the trigger food. We got to get that out. Because for some kids, you know, unfortunately, allergy testing can be inaccurate up to 40% of the time or more, right? So you can get false positives and false negatives, which is why so many doctors are like, let's just try it out. And I'm like, there is some, yeah, there's different types of tests that are more accurate, um, but not, it's not a common type of testing. I think it's because of the price of it. Um, And so it's just cheaper to do these massive tests. And so Um, People are getting, you know, there's always going to be a misdiagnosis, right? Always. But the misdiagnosis comes on both sides of the coin. You'll have people who show negative, but then you give them that food, they will full on react. And then you have the opposite. Um, And then, of course, you go into primed and tolerance and all these different things, like the actual science behind how it works, which is why no two people are the same. And we just can't throw a blanket issue of take this much insulin at this problem, right? It's not diabetes. It's not heart disease. um, It's not a broken arm where we know, put a cast on it and rest and you'll be fine. It's every, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah. 
Very interesting. Well, we don't have too much more time. So we're going to, I'm going to do a last one. Okay. All right. And I think this is probably, we've talked about, we've talked about kind of cooking tips. I feel like we've kind of covered that. Um, But let's talk about eating out because we don't, I mean, you know, with COVID, we're not, a lot of people aren't actually going out to eat as much anymore, but we're getting Grubhub or we're getting stuff delivered. Do you have any tips for people who are dairy free uh, with, in terms of like getting food from somewhere else or is your only tip like, don't do it. (laughs) So bell curve and following people's unique needs. Um, If you're at the extreme extreme end of the bell curve, do not do it at all. Period. No ifs, ands or buts. If your child has a contact or airborne allergy, do not do it period. There's so much you cannot control. If you want to understand why I make these statements, watch a cooking show where they're inside of a kitchen and you can see how fast paced a kitchen moves. Um, Because I have different certifications and I understand this and we own a food company, I know what goes on behind the scenes, which is why I can confidently tell you it's really hard for them to keep you safe. They cannot guarantee your safety if the allergen is in the kitchen, period. They can do their best. I'm like, thinking about Gordon Ramsay, like the show, you know, those shows that you watch and you're like, yeah, I mean, well, it's not just that, right? So so like think about salt, right? In, in the culinary world, chefs are trained to keep a little bowl of salt and they're supposed to dip clean fingers into it or get rid of it every, you know, so many hours so that pathogens don't develop. And so they might be working on something, wipe their hand off on a towel that they've got on their apron, dip their hand in the salt and salt. Well, if they only did a wipe and not a full wash, you know, are there allergens on their hands? And I love to tell people, think of allergens as glitter. Glitter is everywhere. Think about how glitter is everywhere, right? And that's what an allergen is like. So if glitter is there, they cannot confirm (laughs) that glitter was not present in your meal. Um, For some places, you know, you can request, you know, use a clean knife, use this, use that. Some places have protocols in place, but you've mentioned something very interesting. With COVID and a lot of places closing down or staff changeovers, the amount of training that these people have in the allergen department may be lacking greatly. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I, I don't want to be like that Debbie Downer type or anything. I don't think no, it's safe yeah. personally, especially if you're on the extreme end of bell curve. But I also think that if yeah. you find a place that can serve you well, enjoy it, right? Yeah. Um, something to think about if you're only milk free, Look for vegan restaurants and paleo restaurants to start with. Look for places where it's not even there. Now, that does not include their ingredient sourcing, right? If Mm -hmm. you find that you're on the extreme end, but you're like, well, I'll go to a vegan place, unless that vegan place has properly sourced every raw material, which not every vegan place does, you're still at risk. Yeah. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. This was the, you, you've blown my mind. I don't get oh, my mind blown very often. <laughs> oh, that's great. But you've, but you've blown my mind. This was so great. And I feel like I'm, I've learned so much and we talked mostly about dairy, but I feel like this was, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff regarding allergies. So I think we're going to name this episode just, I don't know, the allergy, you're the allergy well, you say that you're the allergy chef, but I'm, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you allergy queen. Cause it's, I mean, <laughs> gosh, like 
that was, you got some knowledge, girl. Thank you. <laughs> you got some knowledge. So thank you so much. Can you, um, I'm sure lots of people who are listening want to come and follow you. And I know you have a social media presence as I do. So can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, your website, if people are interested in those dairy, um, in those guides where they can get those, just tell me everything where I can find you. Yeah. So um, on Instagram, which is where we hang out the most at the allergy chef, that's me. And um, we've got a great bio link where you can get links to a lot of places. If you go to theallergychef.com, it's a great landing page for our cookbooks, our bakery, our membership site. Um, our raised membership website also has like some really great free recipes and free articles that people can read, which will be um, some of the links that I send over. And so um, that's really the best place I think to find us and to learn a lot more to dive deeper. Those guides are on our raised website. Um, so yeah, that's where everything is. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. So that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.